Hey guys, this is Jared Murray again. Like I said, I'm a grateful recovering addict. I'm also an alumni of Bradford. Um, the last segment I talked to you guys about my addiction, what it was like in high school, um, which was some of the most significant times in my, in my life as far as being in my addiction and what I went through during that time period. Um, the, the real peak of my addiction when things really kind of bottomed out for me was when I was in college at the University of Alabama. So I kind of want to talk to you guys some about that and then tie into a little bit about surrender and what it was like to, to go to treatment as well. And so when I was a student at the University of Alabama, I pledged a fraternity. Um, I was 19 years old, going down to that college campus already with a full-blown addiction problem. And so I remember when I stepped foot on that campus, I would be at these big fraternity parties, these big sorority parties, and I would feel 100% alone. When I went down to Alabama, I was completely already mentally, physically, and spiritually broken. I was at a place in my addiction where I could not stop using on my own. I was using against my own will. I didn't want to get high, but I continued to despite my willingness to not want to. I remember that kind of powerlessness and unmanageability being present in my life when I was a student there. I remember trying to control my using on a consistent basis and not being able to. And, and I remember just the brokenness that I felt when I was surrounded by people but, but, but felt 100% alone. And every person I know who has gone when I've been through know, knows what it's like to, to feel 100% alone. And that kind of loneliness, that kind of isolation, that kind of fear, that kind of anxiety is what I never want to go back to. And I remember so well and so vividly. And so when I was at the University of Alabama, my opiate addiction took a, you know, took a peak at that point in my life. And, and like I said, I was using every single day, not able to stop on my own. My grades were terrible. I got a .5 my first GPA, so I was just killing it in school. And um, you know, after that, I got a .4 in my second semester, so did even worse than I did my first semester. And my, my addiction at that point in my life, like I said, was just at a, at a peak. I mean, it was unreal, the kind of pain and the kind of um, loneliness and the kind of anxiety that I was experiencing day in and day out. And so that summer semester, my parents decided to keep me down there for the summer. They were going to see if I would somehow get better grades and, you know, get my act together and do better. And, um, you know, they were always just wrapped up in this idea that, like, somehow I was going to grow out of this or somehow I was going to get better. And they were so wrapped up in my addiction along as as well as me being wrapped up in it, that, you know, they suffered from the same kind of delusional thinking that I suffered from about my disease, if that makes sense. And so they justified it, they rationalized it just like I did. And so I would have these periodic jolts of reality, these periodic jolts of awareness about seeing the reality of the problem, and then I would immediately justify my using and go right back into my addiction. And so there's a piece of recovery literature that talks about those periodic jolts of awareness. And um, I would have those, but I would immediately follow that with a justification because the obsession and the compulsion to use drugs controlled my life at that point in my life. And so I went into my summer year, some of the most traumatic things happened to me in that summer year as a result of my addiction. And um, I actually called up to the student health center to get help at one point in my life and when I was there and um, actually didn't get introduced to treatment and um, wasn't able to get the help that I was necessarily looking for at that time. And so I stayed out for about six more months. And so I went into my sophomore year. And at that point in my sophomore year, I started using a needle when I was uh, 20 years old. So I was using IV opiates, IV cocaine um, pretty much every day. And at that point, you know, I, I remember my parents were really starting to become aware of how much money I was spending and the unmanageability that was happening and everything like that. So what they did is they cut me off and they drew some boundaries for the first time. And as a result of that, 
I started stealing to support my habit. I was breaking into cars, I was breaking into houses, I was pawning jewelry, I was pawning flat screen TVs, I was just consistently stealing everything and pawning stuff in order to be able to get my next fix. And so it's important to understand the full scope of this disease. And what was so important for me to understand when I went to treatment was to be educated on the fact that I didn't suffer from a moral dilemma, but that I suffered from an illness. Because my whole entire addiction, I had so much guilt and so much shame that I was super overwhelmed by. Because I thought that I did the things that I did because I was a bad person. I couldn't understand, like, you know, I grew up in a great home. I grew up in a great family. I know I have a big heart. I know I love people. I know I care about people. Why am I stealing from everybody? Why am I hurting the people that love me and care about me the most? I was completely disconnected from my family. I was completely disconnected from my friends, even when I was around them. That was the like life of isolation and loneliness that I was starting to live when I was at the peak of my addiction at that point, and I couldn't understand it. And so I would go into pawn shops and pawn stolen flat screen TVs with my own ID, not even having the thought of like, hey, you shouldn't do this. Like that wouldn't even register. So that's what addiction looks like when we're in the grip of it, when the obsession and compulsion to use drugs is the only thing that matters because I couldn't manufacture anything besides the next high. You know, that's how progressive and how chronic and how powerful this disease is. I woke up every morning praying, God, I don't want to use today, and I got high anyways. I would throw needles out of the window into a yard. I remember doing that one time, and I went by and picked them up out of the yard and used them the next day. Like, I was really starting to become aware of how bad I didn't want to continue to do the things that I was doing, but I totally had lost control. And so the, the big book and other pieces of literature talk about how, you know, our real, our real problem was, you know, lack of power. And, and, and how, how powerless we are. And, and that was the true significance of my problem is I never knew how to get out of my own way. I was consistently driven by my own self-centeredness and by my own disease. And I lacked power because my power that I had to have to be able to get clean and sober had to come from something greater than me. And they say that the, the you know, spiritual part of our disease is our total self-centeredness because the self-centered mind can't conceive of anything greater than itself. And that was always my issue is my mind cannot conceive of anything greater than itself. You can't graft a new idea on a closed mind, and I was completely shut off from anything besides my addiction. And so I, I uh, got into some legal trouble, and all my charges kind of hit when I was 20 years old, and I was breaking into those houses and cars, and all that caught up to me. And I was walking out of my fraternity house one day at Alabama, and all these trucks pulled up with investigators that hopped out, and I got arrested that day with five felonies and two counts of two misdemeanors. And this was a significant time because they had drugs and spoons and needles on top of my car, you know, and we got dope pulling up my sleeves, you know, and we got track marks and, you know, all this is happening right there in the middle of campus. And I'm sitting there telling them that I've been clean for two weeks. Like, they don't understand. Like, everything's fine. I've been clean for two weeks. And what's crazy about that is I believed it. Like, that's how delusional I was at that point in my life is I literally believed what I was telling them despite everything that was going on and despite all the drugs I was getting arrested with, I believed that I was clean and somehow was doing okay. You know, that was the insanity of my addiction. And that's why I always tell families and people that we can't gauge somebody's motivation when they're, when they're in the grips of this disease. Because a lot of times they'll say, oh, they're not motivated. They're not ready. If someone would have looked at me that day and heard what I was saying, they would have been like, there's no way he's ready or motivated to do what it takes to stay clean and sober. But I entered treatment the next day, and I've been clean and sober ever since. You know, and so we can't gauge that. We got to intervene. We got to come in and help raise the bottom for people. And that's what we have to do in recovery, and that's what we have to do in treatment. And so I went into jail that night. My parents, of course, swooped in and bailed me out the next day. And, and, and literally, before I went into jail, I had this moment of surrender, which surrender is such a big part of recovery. That's what the first step's about. Recovery only begins with surrender. We cannot begin this journey until we surrender and get out of our own way. 
And so I was sitting in jail that night, and I was in, or before I went to jail, I was sitting in the police station in handcuffs, and these investigators came in with these stack of papers of all these charges they had on me. And um, I remember when they came in there, I owned up to, some, to everything. For the first time in my life, I was honest. I had some acceptance for the first time. And I told him, yes, I stole that. Yes, I stole that. Yes, I did that. Yes, I did that. And I want help and I want a way out because I'm so sick and tired of living the life that I've been living. And so like during the midst of this chaos and, you know, getting arrested and all that happening, like I had a little bit of relief that um, maybe this is finally going to be over. And something like popped inside of me and, and something felt different. And mentally, physically, and spiritually, I felt more broken than I'd ever felt. And, and that's the kind of pain that I had to experience to be able to get to a place of surrender in my life. After that moment of surrender happened and I went into jail, you know, the next day I got bailed out. I got high the entire next day because I didn't have a spiritual solution. You know, I, I mean, I think the true significance of the disease of addiction is understanding that the biggest part of our illness and the biggest part of the problem is the spiritual problem. You know, my internal condition because recovery is an inside job. And so there's things that I have to do to have some internal change in order to become connected again to the world around me and in order to experience peace and serenity and freedom. You know, I got high the entire next day even after I had that moment of surrender. But the day after that was the day that I went into treatment, which was January 29th, 2011, which was the day that my life, you know, forever changed for the better. And so the next segment, I'm going to talk to you guys about, you know, what it was like in treatment, what my life is like in recovery today, and what that looks like. 